I was reading in Genesis this week in my devotions, and this really stood out to me. God speaking to Sarah in Genesis 21, verse 1, it says, And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. Isn't that powerful? The Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. God had promised her that she would have a child. And she was old in years, still not having a child, barren, but God supernaturally gave her her son, Isaac. And as we look at the nativity, the birth of Christ, what we're going to focus on tonight is Christ's coming was a fulfillment of God's word. It was a fulfillment of God's commitment. As you look at Matthew 1 and 2, there's four times where Matthew says, as the prophet had spoken. So there's a lot of things that we could focus on in these two chapters, but what we're going to primarily focus on is that God had promised to send his son long before Jesus ever came in Bethlehem. He called it, he predicted it, he promised it, and Jesus came just as the father had spoken. And Jesus has also promised to return. So we've experienced the fulfillment of the first coming, but the second coming of Christ has not taken place yet. But God is going to fulfill his word just as he spoke. So we begin in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 1. Don't get nervous. We're not going to go through the whole genealogy there in Matthew 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is the fulfillment of the first prophecy, surprisingly enough, is that Jesus would come from the lineage of David. In 2 Chronicles chapter 17, David wants to build God a house, build God a temple. Nathan the prophet gives him the thumbs up, but has to come back to him the next day and say, no, God actually spoke to my heart. David, you can't build me a house because your hands are filled with blood from from war. But God then spoke to David and said, David, I'm going to build you a house. Isn't that like the Lord? Saying, Lord, I want to serve you. And God says, I want to be gracious to you. Gives this promise to David that on David's throne, one of his descendants would reign rule forever. And that's fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Jesus came through the lineage of David. Now, David was a man that was after God's own heart, but had his struggles with sin as well. He was an adulterer and a murderer, but God chose to send his son through the line of David, showing that Jesus came for sinners. Aren't you glad that Jesus came for sinners? We won't get into all of it in this genealogy, but you'll be surprised by some of those that are listed. But again, it's God's message that he came for broken people that realize that they need a savior. But Jesus, a son of David, Jesus coming from the lineage of David is a fulfillment of prophecy. It's a fulfillment of exactly how God said it would come down. So we jump down to verse 18 of Matthew 1. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. When you were engaged, betrothed at this time, to end the engagement was similar to a divorce. And Joseph was wanting to end the relationship, but he was going to do it privately. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. 
and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Have you ever wondered what the name Jesus means? It literally means Savior. Mary is going to be of child of the Holy Spirit, and his name is to be Jesus because he will save their people from their sins. Even at the birth of Jesus Christ, the mission of Jesus is clear, to come and be the sacrifice for our sins. In verse 22, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Here's our second prophecy that's fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. You may want to underline it, focus on it, spoken by the Lord through the prophet. This is the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7. Later on, you can go look it up for yourselves, but this is some 700 years before Christ was born. God gives this amazing prophecy, the Emmanuel prophecy, that the Messiah is going to be born to a virgin. Now, we're familiar with this, but imagine you're Isaiah, and you're like, really? I got to write this down? Like, this is not physically possible. Virgins don't have children, right? There there has, I won't go into all of this. It's a family service, but... And he's writing down, yes, this is going to be a sign. Jesus is unlike any other because of the virgin birth. He's, he's all God, but he's all man. The, the mystery of the virgin birth. The name that's given to Christ in this prophecy is Emmanuel, God with us. What we really see in the Old Testament is God above us, don't we? We see the holiness of God. We see the, the power of God. We see the children of Israel struggling to try to be able to approach God. The law has this high standard of perfection. But here Jesus bringing the gospel is Emmanuel, God with us. That God is in human flesh to be the sacrifice for our sins. But what I want you to see is that this was the plan of God. This is what God intended. This is what is in his heart and his mind. We see this in this prophecy from Isaiah. We're told in the scriptures that Christ was slain before the foundations of the world. God was not surprised when Adam and Eve sinned. It didn't take him by surprise. He knew when he created Adam and Eve that they would sin, and ultimately that he would send his son, Emmanuel, God with us. There's nothing in our human experience that God doesn't understand. In his humility, he even was tempted by sin. He never sinned, but he endured temptation. He knows what it is to be sick. He knows what it is to be rejected. Some of you this Christmas may be wrestling with some real pain in your life, and Christmas Eve seems to highlight that. Emmanuel, God with us, he understands that rejection. He understands that hurt. He came to heal our hearts and to set the captives free. He's Emmanuel, God with us. So so God in human flesh, God with us. But thankfully, because of Christ's death and resurrection, he's always with us, isn't he? Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We're living in some uncertain times, some difficult days for sure. We don't know what the future has in store, but we know that Jesus is with us. You're not going to face a day apart from Christ. 
Emmanuel, God with us. This is the second prophecy that is highlighted in Matthew. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and didn't know her till she brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Joseph is one of my personal heroes. Here he is obeying the word of the Lord. The angel comes to him and says, no, you are to marry Mary. And he does. And then he doesn't know her intimately until after Christ is born. And when Jesus is born, he's faithful to give the name that the angel instructed. His name is Jesus. The third prophecy that's fulfilled is Jesus born in Bethlehem. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. One thing I think we need to understand is the absolute brokenness and mess in which Christ came. Herod is in charge, and Herod is just an absolute tyrant. We're going to see that in a few more verses. This was a dark time for the children of Israel. There's really nothing that's pleasant that's happening in the circumstances around the birth of Christ. You've got Caesar Augustus telling Mary and Joseph they've got to leave Nazareth to be part of the census in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph are in poverty. They don't even have a place for Christ to be born in Bethlehem. Christ is born in a barn. It's just difficulty after difficulty after difficulty, this darkness, but yet here comes Jesus, the light of the world. So it's in the days of Herod that Jesus is born, and the wise men see a star from the east, and they travel to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. As they study the stars, they realize this is a unique star that's pointing to the Messiah, and they travel from modern-day Iraq, Iran region, all the way to Jerusalem to seek out the Messiah, to seek out the Christ. And logic would say, let's go to the leader. So they go to Herod, and they say, do you know where the Christ child is to be born? So Herod calls a Zoom meeting, gets all of his guys together. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. He says, guys, I, I want to know where the Christ is to be born. Search the scriptures. What do the scriptures say? Does the scriptures tell us where Jesus will be born? So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judah, for thus it was written by the prophet. There it is. This is the promise of God. God has foretold this, that God would send his son. His son would come through the Virgin Mary and be born specifically. Here's the prophecy in verse 6. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is quoting Micah 5.2. I want to read Micah 5 to you. It says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. I wonder, for those that were from Bethlehem 
if they were aware of this prophecy. You know, sometimes we're not even aware of things in our own city in Colorado Springs, right? And then visitors come, family come, and they're like, have you done this? Or did you know about this? I'm like, no, I had no idea, right? We're just busy doing our own lives. And I wonder those in Bethlehem, if they're aware of this amazing prophecy, it's very clear that the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. Now, God used Caesar Augustus to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. God is sovereign. He's in control. Even in the midst of very trying and difficult times, Mary and Joseph make the journey to Bethlehem, and it's where Christ was born. You know what's so cool? There's several really amazing things about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. But Bethlehem means house of bread. So they're kind of the Panera bread of the day, I guess. At some point, someone was making some really good bread in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem literally means house of bread. And Jesus is the bread of life. The bread of life was born in the house of bread to be broken for our sins so that we could be made whole. But also what Micah chapter 5 points out is Bethlehem is little. Bethlehem is not a destination place. To this day, if you have the opportunity to go to Israel, Jerusalem is awe-inspiring. And Bethlehem is poor and it's difficult and it's unsafe. And sometimes you can go there and other times that you can't. And it's Palestinian occupied. And there's a big wall that separates Bethlehem from Jerusalem, even though they're only a few miles apart. It's not a place that, that you would go to have a relaxing vacation at a resort, but where a humble king would come to be born to relate to all. There's some royalty that we cannot relate to, right? Queen Elizabeth passing away this year was a a big event in 2022. I think most of us would go, I can't relate to the royal family. But ultimate royalty, God in human flesh, he came humbly in Bethlehem to be born in a barn, to be placed in a manger, to be the savior, to be approachable to any who will come, to any who will believe and trust his his sacrifice. So verse seven, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. That was not Herod's intent at all. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Boom, it stops. Light coming down, like that's the house. Notice they're no longer in the barn. They're, They're in a house, so they stayed in Bethlehem for some time. We don't know exactly how old Jesus is, but the scripture says he's a young child. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they come in the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream... But they should not return to Herod. They departed from their own country another way. 
Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So God speaks to Joseph, you've got to leave Israel, you've got to leave Bethlehem, you have to go to Egypt for refuge. Here's another fulfilled prophecy. Jesus going to Egypt is a fulfilled prophecy. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt, I called my son. This is Numbers 24 and Hosea 11.1. Now, you may be a little bit skeptical about Christ and you're like, oh, it's Christmas Eve. I got invited to this Christmas Eve service or it's family tradition or you enjoy the candlelight, but you're like, I'm not sure if I believe in Christ. Is this just something that is made up to make people feel better? Is, is there real evidence to the proof of Jesus Christ? I would suggest to you that these prophecies really point to the validity of Christ because we have scrolls of the Old Testament that predate Christ. Amazing manuscripts of, of the Old Testament. We absolutely know without a shadow of a doubt that these prophecies were written before the life of Christ. And they're not obscure, as you see. They're, they're really detailed. That Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. That he's going to be born of a virgin. That he's going to be the house of, of David. That he's going to have to live in Egypt and ultimately be brought out of Egypt back to, to Israel. We oftentimes don't think of Jesus as a refugee, but he and his family, Mary and Joseph, were refugees. They had to leave their culture, go to Egypt. They probably didn't know the language. The nation of Israel was brought out of Egypt, out of bondage, and Jesus was brought out of Egypt to ultimately come back into to Israel. There's one more uh, fulfilled prophecy that we'll look at here at the end of this chapter. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he set forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all in its district, from two years old and under to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Jeremiah 31, verse 15. This is a fulfillment of Jeremiah 31, 15. And this is horrific. Herod is so set on killing Jesus that he orders the killing of all baby boys, two and younger, in Bethlehem and the surrounding district. There's always been such a hatred for, for Jesus Christ. There's not a more polarizing figure than Jesus Christ. Go talk about Jesus at your workplace, at the gym, with your family, and it is going to get a response. And Herod sees this little baby Jesus to a threat to his throne. And these babies being killed, Rama. Bethlehem, being in lamentation and weeping and mourning, was prophesied in Jeremiah 31, verse 15. And verse 19, now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, 
saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. This, too, is going to be a fulfillment of prophecy. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. This was Mary and Joseph's hometown, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Jesus of Nazareth. Now, this one is a little bit more difficult to pinpoint where it's prophesied in the Old Testament. All of the others that I've mentioned, we have chapter and verse. There's not a a clear chapter and verse that's quoting that Jesus would be called a a Nazarene. I like this one commentary by Bruce that explains it. It says, if there is any specific passage in Matthew's mind, it was likely Isaiah 11.1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots. The Hebrew root translated branch sounds like Nazareth. Following the Jewish scholars of this time believe the reference to be mainly to Isaiah 11, which mentioned is made out of a branch that shall bring forth out of Jesse's root. Also with this phrase Nazarene was a phrase of contempt. And we know in Isaiah 53 that it was prophesied that Jesus would be despised. Do you remember in the Gospels when they were talking about Jesus and they're like, hey, he's from Nazareth. What was the response? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So the idea of Jesus being called a Nazarene is the fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus would be despised. Now you may have grasp what we just walked through. I know it was fairly quick. Uh, I think we went through two chapters in 17 minutes. That's a record for me. But I just wanted to highlight that God had predicted all of these things about the birth of Jesus prior to by the prophets. And for the next few moments, I want to switch our attention from the first coming of Jesus to his second coming. Because in the first coming of Christ, Jesus was born in Bethlehem as a humble servant, went to the cross, died for our sins, and rose again. But that's not the end of the story. He ascended to be with the Father, and he promises to return. He promises to come back. So I'm going to read a few more verses to you. This is Isaiah 9, verse 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, And the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David, over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So there in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, we see both the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. For unto us a son is given, but then it goes on to talk about that the government will be upon his shoulders. And the second coming of Jesus Christ, it's literal. As we'll see in just a moment, Jesus is going to return to the Mount of Olives. And from Jerusalem, he's going to set up shop and he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. 
Church, what we're really longing for is the leadership of Jesus Christ here on this earth. All of the confusion, all of the craziness, all of the chaos that we see in our government and governments around the world. We have missionaries uh, in Peru, and right now Peru is, is rioting, and they're just in absolute uh, upheaval. And all of this is this longing for Christ to come, longing for Christ to return to experience the reign of Christ. I, I can't wait. It's going to be fabulous and, and marvelous. So this is Zechariah chapter 14, this promise of Jesus coming on the Mount of Olives. I think the Mount of Olives is the most valuable piece of real estate on earth, right? Because we know that Jesus is going to return on the Mount of Olives. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And on the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley Half of the mountain shall move towards the north and half of it towards the south. This is just off the Temple Mount. From the Temple Mount, you see the Mount of Olives. From the Mount of Olives, you see the Temple Mount. And Jesus is going to descend right on the Mount of Olives and it's going to split in two. And then living water is going to come forth as this prophecy continues. And in that day, it shall be that living water shall flow from Jerusalem Half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur and the Lord shall be king over all of the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name is one. Can I get an amen? Amen. Don't we long for his coming? He is coming. Jesus is coming and he's going to land on the Mount of Olives. Wyatt, my son, who's who's 10, he realized it'd be a little bit of a bummer, he's been talking about this the last two days, if the rapture happened on Christmas Eve. Because we open all of our gifts on Christmas morning. Wouldn't that be a bummer, kids? A little bit of a bummer? But but it'd be worth it, because we'd be in heaven, and we would, would be with the Lord. Matthew 24 predicts the second coming of Jesus, and the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven And then the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Revelations 19, verse 11. Now I saw heaven open. This is predicting the second coming of Christ. And behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And his head were many crowns. He has a name written on it that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, speaking of his crucifixion, and his name was called the Word of God. Jesus revealed through the Word of God. Oh man, Jesus came as a humble, suffering servant in his first coming, which we're so thankful for. When he comes in his second coming, he's coming as a conquering king. You need to know the Bible has an ending, and it's a really good ending. It's Jesus making everything right. It's the exclamation point of his coming. Anna and Simeon, in Luke's account of the birth of Christ, spent time at the temple longing for the coming of the Messiah. You would find them in anticipation saying, he is coming. He's coming. God had revealed to Simeon that he wasn't going to die until he met the Messiah. Jesus came to the temple to be circumcised, to receive his official 
name, the giving of, of his name. And God revealed to Simeon, this little baby is the Messiah. And he rejoices because he saw the fulfillment of what God had put on his heart. Anna was a widow at a young age. She was only married for seven years. After the death of her husband, she didn't get remarried, and she would come to the temple every day to serve God in fasting and prayer. And the scripture tells us she served the Lord in that way for 84 years. So she was an elderly woman. And when she met Jesus, she knew that this was the Christ child. She experienced the fulfillment of what God had put on her heart. And she went around speaking to everybody who was waiting for the redemption of Israel. We get to be the modern day Simeons and Anna. Not looking for the first coming of Jesus Christ, but looking for the second coming of Jesus Christ. To be waiting. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. You know, earlier this year, there was some rumbling of he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. It was Russell Wilson is joining the Denver Broncos. (laughs) What a disappointment. What a disappointment so far. We're hoping for better things, right? I was so excited that, that he was coming to, to the Broncos. But we have this ultimate expectation that Jesus is coming. A lot of times in my daily life, I'm not living in expectation of Christ's soon return. I get stuck in all of the trials and difficulties of the day and survival mode. But I want you to hear this as we celebrate the first coming of Christ this afternoon. We also have the absolute assurance that he is coming. God is going to fulfill his word exactly as he has spoken. Exactly as he has spoken. Just like he fulfilled it to Sarah. Just like he fulfilled it in the first coming of Christ. It's impossible for God to lie. We have this anchor to our soul that Jesus is going to return and make everything right. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the good news, to respond to the gospel. Because if you respond in faith to his first coming, you're going to be prepared for his second coming. And Jesus did come to be the savior of our sins. What is our sin? Our sin separates us from God. It's those things that we do in disobedience to God willfully, but also trying to miss the mark and falling short. The Bible tells us for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the amazing gift of Christ is then he went to the cross because he loves you. He went to the cross because he loves me. That all who will repent, all that will turn from sin and believe that Jesus is God, that he died and rose again, inviting him to be the Lord of their life, will be saved. Interesting for me is, as I grew up in a Christian family, which I'm now thankful for, But I had a hard heart towards Christ uh, growing up. I think there was a a young profession of faith as as a child, but really not walking with the Lord, not having a heart for the Lord, not really sure where I was at with the Lord by by any means. And it was New Year's Eve of my freshman year of high school. I had a youth pastor who asked me, what do you want God to do in your life in this next year? Write it down, write three things down, seal it up in this envelope, put your address on it, and I'll mail it to you a year later. And for some reason, I put down number one, God, I want you to be closer to me than my brother. I have an older brother and a younger sister. 
And my older brother was real in my life, but God wasn't real in my life. And it was four days later, I was walking back from the basketball gym, was going to go watch a, a friend's game, but it got canceled due to weather. And I, I was walking home, and there were some kids playing out in the yard. And I just began to talk with the Lord and say, God, if you're real, I need you to reveal yourself to me. And I was walking past these kids and God spoke to my heart, Eric, while you wanted nothing to do with me, I wanted everything to do with you. And it was the first time that I'd heard God speak to me. It wasn't audible or anything like that, but that still small voice, I knew it was the Lord. While I had such a hard heart towards God, God wanted everything to do with me. That's the grace of God. And I walked home into my parents' house and I was just weeping. I was like, God loves me. God loves me. He, he loves me. I'd been told that my whole life. But it became personal. And in that moment, I was aware of my sin. But I was aware of my Savior that he died for me. And the crazy thing happened is the have-tos started to become want-tos. I woke up the next morning and I wanted to read my Bible. Never in my life had I wanted to read my Bible. It was always something that I had to do, but never something that I I wanted to do. And I want you to hear this Christmas that God created you. He loves you. He died for you. And will you respond to his grace, this free gift, and say, Jesus, save me. Be the Lord of my life. In just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to raise your hand and to receive Christ as your Savior. But also, I want to speak just a moment to the times that we're living in. I think it would be haphazard for me not to do so, is there's so much pain in our community, there's so much confusion in our culture, there's uncertainty with our economy, and I believe that it's God's heart for us right now, Christmas Eve 2022, to be living for Jesus. And there's some of you that need to be saved, that need to trust Christ as your Savior. There's some of you that know Christ and you're not living for Christ. For some reason you've gotten hurt, You've gotten discouraged, you've drifted, but if you're honest with your own heart, and I think we've all been there at certain points as believers, we go, I'm not living for Jesus. You're going to live for something, and God wants your attention. He wants our attention. I believe that God is working a spiritual revival. I believe he's waking up his church. I believe as we go into 2023 that we're getting closer to his coming. We don't know when Christ is going to return, but God wants us to be living for him. So I also want to give you an opportunity as a believer to come back to the Lord. So let's pray together. Let's just spend some time waiting upon the Lord, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to hearts. And Jesus, we thank you that you're here. We thank you for your first coming. We thank you for your promised second coming. Lord, I pray for those that have never trusted you as their Savior. Lord, that you would communicate your love to them that you would call them by name and in this moment that they could trust you and be born again and receive this free gift of of salvation. We know that eternity is very real and this decision, this decision that you're going to make on what you're going to do with Christ, it determines whether you go to heaven or hell. If If you reject Christ through your whole life, Ultimately, you're separated from God for all eternity, but he doesn't want that. He, he wants you to have everlasting life. He wants to be in relationship with you. If you'd like to receive Christ your Savior, would you raise your hand? Would you raise it up high? For those that are online, I'd encourage you to raise your hand as well. Praise the Lord. Just go ahead and leave your hand up. Hands coming up all over the sanctuary. Praise the Lord.
Praise God. Praise the Lord. Anybody else that says, praise the Lord, that's awesome. Praise God. Just pray this with me. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you died for my sins and rose again. I repent of my sin and receive your grace and receive your forgiveness. I invite you to be the Lord of my life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. You can put your hands down. Father, I thank you for those that just responded to the gospel. I thank you for your promise that when we believe that we're saved, when we believe in you, Jesus. And now I'd like to give you an opportunity to respond as a believer. You know that you've trusted Christ for salvation, but you also know that you haven't been living for him. And you've got a loving father that's calling you back to himself. He wants to restore to you the joy of your salvation. He wants to do this work of of redemption in your life. He's waiting for you to come back. He's waiting for you to come home. So would you raise your hand and allow me to pray with you if you need to come back to the Lord? Praise the Lord. Thank you for responding. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. Yeah. Respond to what God's doing in your heart. Just raise your hand to him. Father, you see hands that are coming up. They're saying, I need to come back to you. And Father, we thank you that you always welcome us back. That you're so ready to forgive. And Lord, would you allow them to feel the joy of their salvation? Would you renew a love for your word? A love for fellowship with believers? Jesus, would you speak your forgiveness over them? Areas of their life that is broken because of sin, we thank you that you're able to put those pieces back together. So Father, would you bless them? We thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.